0: John 11. We're going to finish up some material here about Jesus here in His ministry under this idea of the conversations uh, that Jesus had with people on a somewhat regular basis and what we can learn from that. Uh, Today, I want to talk about in this uh, matter, last week we looked at insights Into the love of Jesus. We talked about Jesus' love is disciplined. Uh, We discussed his love is for individuals. Some other, if you want to listen to that, it's up on the podcast at the church's site. Uh, The other thing I want to look at today are insights into Jesus' ministry. Insights uh, into Jesus' ministry. You know, life is often a a series of learning to get insights about life. You know, it's one thing to see things happening, another thing to receive insight. I I was telling myself here a little bit, I'm a fairly structured person. Uh, I have a pretty uh, common uh, schedule, and I told someone, if you ever wanted to kill me, all you have to do is find me at the donut shop on Saturday morning, the bagel shop, or the gas station. Uh that's, that's my routine. We go to the, we get up in the morning, we go to the donut shop, we stop by the gas station, we go to the bagel shop, and then we come home and read the paper and watch the Rifleman while we eat donuts. So that's Saturday morning. <coughs> Can't find any fault with that, can you? <coughs> now, <coughs> I've done this so many times, obviously, I know what I'm doing, right? <coughs> I know what I'm doing. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we had been out late, you know, at my age, that means 11. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> after 11, I'm having problems. And so <clears throat> we got home kind of late on Friday night, and I just kind of woke up, just kind of fuzzy headed, you know, just kind of, oh, we're, we're, you know. And so um, we're, we're in our routine, and I've got it, I know it, and I know what I'm going to do. And so <clears throat> we get ready, and uh, I tell Becky, let's go we'll get. Get the car and get get go get the donuts. And so I get in the car, started up and back out of the, the garage. But I'd failed to do one thing. <laughs> Open the garage. <clears throat> Seriously. <clears throat> yeah. Now I had a almost had almost instantaneous insight. <laughs> Bam! <clears throat> and I thought, that's not the way it usually happens. You know? <clears throat> Not generally. And I look back, and that garage door is like this, and it's popped a couple of rollers, and uh, it's halfway up, and I said to Becky, get in the other car. I'm going to hold it up, because we're going to get donuts. (laughs) Commitment. (laughs) Or insanity. Yeah. You know... We've done this for so long, we now have, we, I've had an insight, we have now a new program on Saturday morning. When we are walking out of the washroom door, you'll hear these words, open the garage, Cliff. <coughs> <coughs> open the garage. Yeah. Does she say it or does one of the voices in your head say it? No, I'm starting to say it so I hear it. <coughs> open the garage. Terrible. Way to get insight, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, have had no other problems since then. Uh, found a wonderful guy to come fix it. Uh, but we get insights throughout life. You know, a couple of my friends said, you probably shouldn't tell that because nobody's ever going to come back to Sunday school. <clears throat> and I thought, well, run, run, run the possibility. Uh, so uh, uh, this uh, uh, idea of getting insight through life, through experiences like that, I, I honestly believe that there really are some uh, fairly interesting insights to Jesus' ministry here that it, we read it and we see it, but if we'll slow down a little bit here, if we'll, we'll look at it a little closer, I, I want to suggest you there are. So look here in John chapter 11. I'm going to begin where we kind of ended in this uh, discussion at verse 16 uh, about the, uh, insights into the love of, of Jesus. Therefore, after uh, Jesus had waited, his friend is sick, he doesn't go, he waits, Jesus tells him why, what he's up to. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said of his fellow disciples, Let us go so that we may die with Him. Now, remember this this guy, we'll look at him later, but this guy's a different kind of a reputation. So when Jesus came, He found that he, uh, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning her brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet Him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now that's one of Jesus' I am statements we've been working through there, so you might want to just underline that. That's another one of those. Ego ami, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord, I've believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he who comes into the world. And when he would said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Mary and Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her, Mary, in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, you might want to just—we're going to come back—but the word "weep" there. You just—you might want to underline it. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, "Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died." Now, it's interesting; she, she says exactly the same thing that Martha had said. we are look at that. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, And the Jews who came, he also wept, or was weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. There's the shortest (laughs) verse in all the Bible that you learned in Bible school. So the the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. Jesus' love for Lazarus. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus again began deeply moved within, came to the tomb. That was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then when he raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I say, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some went to the Pharisees and told them the words and things that Jesus had done. Therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council. For they were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. They continue to confer. And then, notice here from verse 53. So from that day on, they plan together to kill him. Now, I want to try to work through this. I know some of y'all are taking deep breaths right now, thinking, why are we talking about all these verses? (laughs) Because we're going to work through them today. I want to just hit some high points here, because I think there's some incredible insights here, if you will, if you'll follow along with me, about the ministry of Jesus. Number one, I want to say this, that Jesus' ministry creates different reactions. Now, that's obvious, but I've got a, a couple here, three I want to work through. Yes. Can I I'll give you a short answer on that, uh, Stuart, is this, that Jesus seems to be, as I look at the context here, that he is su- uh, suggesting, because he's saying we're not going to go now, but we're, we weren't going to go at first, but we're going to go now. Maybe there's something here about timing. There's 12 hours the day, there, there's daylight when you can go, and there's night when you don't. So I think there's an issue of timing here. Jesus isn't trying to make a, a solar or matter here. He's saying there's a matter of timing. Okay, I talk some more about that, but I, I want—I need to move it. For, but you're right. That's a good question. Is that—is that help any about timing? Yes, you think that's just what it's about. I think that's just—it's about timing here. It's a matter of that it, when you're in the day, you can work and and go, but at night, no one works. Remember, we're talking about a culture that's pretty dark in terms of no artificial light, those kind of matters. So. So let's look here at this this idea of the reactions in Jesus. Now, I want to start here at verse 16. Look here. Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to the fellow disciples, let us go so we can die with him. Now, you know what? Thomas is this guy's last name. What's his first name? Doubting. Doubting. (laughs) Right? That's how we know this guy, right? That's his last name, Thomas. His first name is Doubting in in our judgment. This, this reaction that Jesus' ministry creates in him fascinates me. Because this guy has always been known as a doubter, as someone who, who didn't completely believe, but someone who now says, hey, okay, we see the deal. We know it's time for Jesus to act. It is the daylight, if you will. We're going to go die with him. That's an interesting reaction. Now, I, I will tell you that that in seeing that reaction, I also see a reaction here, if you will, and I think I've got this. I want to tell you what the reaction is here first. Belief and doubt. The ministry of Jesus creates belief and doubt. I think that sometimes we don't want to kind of lean into this. But you see, we know that Thomas later doubted. We know that there's this sense in which he's believing now, he doubts later. I, I wanna, and I'm just going to show you some verses. Look at, look at verse 39. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, I lost my place again. Uh, in verse 27, there's another reaction to his ministry from Mary. Remember what she said? I, I, I know you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the One who's coming. You, you're, you're, you're the Great One, if you will. But in verse 39, what happens? Hey, don't mess with Him, Lord. he, he He's been in the grave for four days. You know, on the one hand, she can make this incredible statement about who she believes Jesus is. That you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the one who is coming into the world. On the other hand, hey, wait, don't, don't roll the stone away. This guy's dead. And I love, if you read King James anymore, if anybody ever does that, it's wonderful because he said, he stinketh, you know. I like the way that says. Because you know, he did. By four days. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing I want you to look at. I want you to see in these people's lives, Thomas here and other places, But in Mary's life, she is very clear about what she believes about Jesus. But it appears to me in verse 39, there's some serious doubt, isn't there? I mean, here's a dead guy. Here's a dead guy. Here she gives this incredible clear statement in verses 22 and in 27 about who Jesus is. And then in verse 39, she says, look, don't mess with Him because He's dead. Now, let me ask you something here to think about this. In The life and ministry of Jesus. It's my opinion here that what Mary illustrates for us, and at least helps me with, is this. Is that any follower of Jesus that takes the ministry of Jesus very seriously is going to deal with belief and doubt in alternating ways. You with me? I I, I don't think anybody that takes seriously the ministry and life of Jesus would ever say that I've never doubted or that I've never had any questions or or I've never had any concerns about this. I'm always a little worried about people that don't have what I would call some healthy doubt about what this man claims to be and what he claims to be able to do. Mary is somewhat doubtful here in 39. Even though she's had this incredible, if you will, confession of who Jesus is, there's a sense of doubt. There's a sense of is you, you know and, and we want people to be all or one don't we all or one you're either all faith or and no doubt or you're just doubting and you're not, you're not believing can i show you a couple of passages here i want to ask you to consider about this this matter about the reaction that jesus sometimes creates is belief and doubt look at matthew 28 real quick we're just going to look here i, I just see in mary and martha this principle this idea look at matthew 28 after jesus has risen from the dead. After Jesus has risen from the dead and His ministry in life creates faith, look here at Matthew 28, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had designated. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But what? Some were doubtful. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. At least in my life. Some of the things that Jesus does and some of the things that Jesus says causes me a little pause. I, I didn't say unbelief. The Bible seems to, to deal with unbelief in a different way. Unbelief is a determination not to believe. Doubt is, can this really be true? I mean, we've been Christians too long, probably, you know. We read this stuff as if it was just like, you know, no big deal. We, we, we read this stuff, that we're so accustomed to it. But I see in Martha, what I see in the Bible is this clarity of who Jesus is, who I believe you are, but then when life starts coming in, also some doubt. Can He really do this? Can He really pull this thing off? And I personally think that we do harm to people. When, we don't, when we're not honest about this to say, Doubt's okay. It's okay to have doubts at times. Get more information. Spend a little more time studying. Talk to other people. But when we don't allow people to face their doubts and their concerns, I think we do terrible harm to them. Look here, another one. Look, look at Luke. Look at Luke chapter uh, 24. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Luke 24. <clears throat> I've, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I know Marty says that every week. You know, he's, he's lying, but you know. <clears throat> this really is. I mean, this really is. In, in chapter 24, verse 36, uh, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst, verse 36, and he said, to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, look, they're seeing the resurrected Jesus here. Okay? Why do you have doubt? See my hands, my feet, that I myself touch me and see for the Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones you you see that I have. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and feet. And while they still could not believe it, why? The American Standard says because of their joy. Look at that. I can't believe this. Why? Because of their joy. Listen, the Gospel ought to at times, to stun us to some level of doubt. If it is true, and the way it says, it ought to occasionally, not every time, stun us in some doubt to say, wait a minute, I've said it this way, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great preacher in uh, England, made this statement when he says, when you preach the gospel... If the result of the answer of preaching the gospel isn't, hey, that sounds wonderful and that's great, but that is too good to be true. He said, if you don't get that response, you haven't preached the gospel. We've been Christians too long, haven't we? (laughs) We read this stuff and it just blows over us and flows over us instead of thinking, wait, as my dad would say, a minute here to say, this thing is so. Amazing what it says that they could not believe because of joy and amazement. How about that? Listen, the ministry of Jesus ought to ever once in a while stun us a little bit. It ought to be like Mary where we've got our theological ducks in a row, where we understand who Jesus is. We're going to come back and look at that. Where we see how Jesus is and who He is and what He said, and yet we go... Oh, come on, is that true? Can that all be true and real? Anybody with me on this? Do you ever have this sense? I I just want to say to some people, I don't know, but I want to say to some people here that struggle with doubt occasionally, it may simply be because of the incredible nature of the ministry and the life of Jesus. Hallelujah, right? It just may be that. It just may be that this isn't as simple and as easy, and just get your head cranked around it. But to begin to say, this, if this, like C.S. Lewis said, if this isn't true, then just forget about it. He said, the one thing the gospel can't be is moderately important. If it is true, it can be anything but moderately important. And so we see that. Now, now let me give you one more. I'm just going to show you the early church. Look at Acts chapter 12, real quick. Acts chapter 12. This is, again, one of my, one of my favorite verses. You've heard that a few times, haven't you? Acts chapter 12, let me tell you the story real quick. Peter's been arrested. The head of the church, you know, or, you know, going to be. Well, Jesus is the head of the church. What I mean, he's kind of the, the spokesman in Jerusalem. And he gets in jail, and uh, they've killed James the Less. This is, this is the brother John. They, they've already killed James the Less, and Herod realizes, hey, Jews are happy about it, let's kill somebody else. We got we got Peter in jail. Let's do let's let's kill him. So here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. And uh, verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Huh? And then what happened? (laughs) And then an angel comes. That's oh that happens all the time, right? I mean, we talk like this. An angel comes. Gets him out of jail, gets him past the guards, gets him out. He goes to the door of this church that's praying fervently, right? Remember those? Fervently, loud. He knocks on the door. Rhoda comes, this young lady, and sees him and flips out. And there's Peter. Okay, not a woman of faith. And goes back to the people and tells them, Peter's at the door. And what do they say? Look at it there. Verse 15. Verse 15. You're out of your mind. Be quiet. We're praying for Peter to be released. (laughs) Sit back down. Shut up. You're making too much racket. You're messing up our prayer service. Faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. Look, I'm not afraid of doubt. I know it's simply usually I need some more information. I I need to get my understanding about it. But I fear that in our unwillingness to look at doubt and to deal with it, that we we end up surrendering the remarkable, the brain-stopping, the heart-stunning reality of the ministry of Jesus. You know, I've told my students at the university, I... I mean, we have worship, uh, we have a chapel on Wednesday and Friday, and it's really, you know, good, and the kids are working at it. And they're doing the best they can. And, uh, you know, they're always saying, isn't it wonderful for us to feel the presence of God and, you know, Jesus and here, and they're happy. And I said, you know, one of these days before I retire, or get forced to retire, <laughs> I'd love for Jesus to come and so numb our brains that we fall down on the floor and can't say a word. I'm looking for that Jesus someday. That I'm serious where we wouldn't dare speak a word. We would be so stunned by the presence of this one. Listen, I I just want to tell you, I believe this is something that we struggle with, I struggle with, you struggle with. We ought to just lean into it and relax and say, you know what, I see a lot of people here that seem to have this same issue that are struggling with faith and doubt. Okay, yes. Where does it say that? Not in Romans. Yeah. Where? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said they eat of doubt. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. i misheard you. Yeah. No, it says if you're in fourteen there. Where if, if you're being asked to eat meat offered to idols. If you're if you're if you're you know eating meat offered to idols. And you aren't clear that you can do that, you know. Ah, I should, maybe I shouldn't. Hey, maybe I should. He said, "Don't do it." He said, "Don't do it," because you're doing it without confidence that you're doing the right thing. I, I tell my students, if you don't know something's right, just don't do it. That—that's that, whatever is not of faith. He said is that idea. But I'm telling you, doubt is all threaded through the New Testament here. But you're right in, in the idea of don't do it if you can't. If you can't do it in faith, don't do this activity. Don't just go ahead and be imp- impressed by someone else to do it. What he's talking about is encouraging people to do things they know they think they shouldn't do. Is that clear? Is that that's at least that Romans 14. I thought you said eat of doubt. I'm sorry I got the preposition wrong. <clears throat> okay, I want let, let's look here. <clears throat> so, second is belief. Now in John 11:45, it's obvious in 11:45 There is this idea that after seeing this, many believe. There are many who believe. And that's pretty easy to understand, pretty simple. Because it says right there, Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what He had done believed in Him. I just want to draw your attention to something here real quick and move on. Believe in Him. Belief always has this preposition to believe in. Now, there are times when it says to believe about. But in the New Testament, the idea is to believe in Jesus. And what I want to suggest to you that this is referring to the object of your faith. The belief in Jesus is saying, He's the object, the, 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 the goal of my faith, that I'm looking to Him. Now, there could be all kinds of things that we trust. The objects of our faith sometimes are money, or sometimes our influence, or the object of our faith sometimes is even our experience. You know, we say, I had this experience. But the scriptures seem here to suggest, here and other places, that this belief is in Jesus. Now, you say, Well, tell me something I didn't know. Well, here's, the, here's the point I want to make. These people now have moved from belief about Him, who He is, what He says, to belief in Him. If they believe, in Him, I believe they will do what He says. If they have belief in Him, they will trust Him to the extent to follow Him. I tell my students this. If I told you I'll take you to Ted's at noon for lunch, and you believe in me, what will you do? They'll all show up. <laughs> yeah, They'll show up. If I believe in Him, it's always the object of our faith. It's the object of our faith that is important. We live in a culture, I think, where we think faith in faith. Well, I have faith. In what? Well, I have faith that I believe. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith that things are going to turn out. It's not that things always work their way out. It's a faith in the person of Jesus. And then this third one we'll look at, because I want to move on here, is rejection. Rejection. This, These religious leaders, I mean, his ministry has occurred... He's raised somebody from the dead. And isn't it fascinating? Therefore, the chief, verse 47, convened a council. What are we doing? I don't know if I noticed that recently, until recently. Notice They're saying, what are we doing here? In other words, we've got to stop this guy. Why? For he's performing signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take our place and our nation. And notice that. He'll come and take our place. And I I will tell you this, that the ministry of Jesus will come against every other kingdom, every other loyalty, every other rule. The kingdom of Jesus, the rule of Jesus, is that, that there is His kingdom that all other kingdoms have to submit. And they're saying, they'll come and take our place. And they'll come and take our nation. How many, if you will, or how many times I I, I have to ask myself, uh, I'll just tell you what I said here, or look what I'm working on, that this rejection of Jesus, this rejection of Him, I mean, they've already admitted He's done a lot of signs, done a lot of good things. But the rejection is because we will lose our place. We'll lose our place. When I was reflecting on that, I thought, are there times in my life when I just want Jesus to kind of leave me alone? Let me keep my place. Let me keep my life. Let me keep my situation. Instead of saying, look, it's your kingdom, it's your rule, it's your world. They're concerned about taking their place. You know, I read a story some years ago about this idea of of, of just holding on. You know, just... just not letting go. Sometimes, if you will, the word we don't use anymore much anymore that I hear other people in other places, we call it surrender. We used to talk about surrendering your life to Jesus. Now we talk about accept him, receive him into your heart. But when I was a kid, we, we heard it's if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you, you need to surrender your life. I probably told you this, but Dan Reineken, went and met with Richard Rohr out in, in, a, in a New Mexico a couple years ago and just talking about some of these issues. And Father Rohr said this. He said, Cliff, we don't talk about surrender much anymore. We, we don't discuss this about our place and, and our situation. And we said, why is that? And he, he, he was being serious but kind of funny. He said, well, in the church, it's bad for business. I mean, really, to tell people, Surrender. Not accept. So these guys won't surrender. I mean, they've got their own kingdom they're building. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that I've always understood this or always uh, got this worked out. But I, I'll tell you, I, I understand and, and try to live each of my life a situation to say, Jesus, it's your kingdom, not mine. It's yours. I've wondered, you know, I'm 61 years old now and uh, getting up there. And and I I said to some of my guys before, I said, you know, I'm trusting that when it comes time for me to retire or they change the locks on my office, I think I'll probably know if I've been building my kingdom or his kingdom. When it comes time for me to say, it's time for someone else to take this role. It's time for someone, and I don't, and I'm not going to second guess them, or I'm going to say it's time for you to take the reins now. And I got a couple of young guys that could do it. I probably will be able to really tell: was I building my place or his place? Who, whose kingdom is it, after all? Is it our place and our kingdom, or are we just glad to be at the table? Just glad to have a part. There is and there will be rejection because of Jesus' ministry. Because it's disturbing. It disturbs the status quo. It disturbs religion. It disturbs people who think they have control and power. It's very disturbing. I tell my students, remember, they killed this guy. (laughs) Right? They didn't give him a badge. They didn't give him a medal. They killed him because his kingdom came to say, "All other places, come to me." Okay. Now, third, the, the next thing I want to show you real quick. <clears throat> Jesus' ministry is attuned to. This is some insight. I probably don't have enough time to undo this, but I, I, I just, I want, as usual, there are two people here in this in this event: Martha and Mary that uh, Jesus seems to me uh, to be this incredible person, obviously, who ministers to them. Can can I tell you? Attunement. Maybe you're familiar with that word. I don't know. Uh, Attunement, from a psychological standpoint or a relational standpoint, is where a person is able to use appropriate language and behavior mirroring or understanding another person's emotional state. Where where I'm able to use words or like... When I was in the band in in, in Texas, my dad decided when I was in junior high it would be a good idea to learn to play an instrument. And, I, you know, he said, uh, Cliff, why don't you play the clarinet? I I said, okay. See, I didn't know when I made that decision that every other person in the clarinet section was a girl. And I'm a guy, I think. You know, my masculinity was attacked. I thought, what am I doing? Nothing wrong with I like girls, okay. I mean, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed girls, but I, I you know I enjoyed it, but I, it it really attacked who I was. I thought, man, no. God. And my dad said, Pete Fountain, you know, Benny. I said, didn't work. But when when I played a clarinet, every day we would get together, we would sit there in front of this uh, uh, chromatic uh, tuner and play our instrument so that we would get it tuned up, tuned up. To the right note. So we weren't sharp or flat or those, those kind of matters. I, I use that on different occasions. And I've discovered as, I, as I'm as i reading this, I think, that Jesus is doing the same thing. I, I don't know if you've ever been around people that attuned to you. But when you spoke, they listened. That when they shared your, their concerns, you saw in their eyes interest. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about attunement that says, I I really hear you. I, I really do understand you. I really do get it. Not fidgeting around, not messing around. I, I remember my dad was a wonderful guy and I love him, and he's great, but I, I realized over the years my dad and I never attuned until later in life. When I was a kid, my dad always wanted us to be men. Again, why did he make me play a clarinet? I don't know. I have no idea. I think he was mad at me or something. No, I'm not against any clarinet players, by the way. Or <clears throat> right. But I remember as a kid, when I'd get hurt, you know, uh, hit in the head with a baseball or, you know, fall off my bike. My dad would say this to me. Well, Cliff, I've had worse than out of my lip and never quit whistling. <laughs> I can still hear it. <clears throat> Or something would happen. I mean, really, I I played a lot of baseball. You know, I got cleated up going into second. Guy puts his cleats on me, get cut up a little bit. I come back, you know, it kind of hurt. My dad said, well, son, I've had worse than that in my eye, and I never quit blinking. As you might know, when I got hurt, I didn't go to him. (laughs) Right? In fact, I sort of learned to not go to anybody. I just decided, hey, just man up, be a guy. Play a clarinet. Anyway. <laughs> I'm still a little troubled over that. I really am. My best buddy played trombone, the other guy played trumpet, and I thought, Man, those are guy instruments. That's what I want to play. But I wanna I wanna suggest something to you. Through my own experience and it worked with lots of other people. I've met lots of people that their God has never attuned to them. Never. When something happened, they heard, well, you know, you couldn't. Have, you should have done better than that. I'm going to stop her. I just have to... I, I, I want to tell you what... There are two things here. We'll come pick them up later. But Jesus attuned in two ways. You can write it on your notes here. There's the ministry of truth to Martha. The attunement to Martha is the ministry of truth. The attunement to Martha is the ministry of truth. We're going to go back and look at what he said, what Jesus did. And the attunement to Mary is the ministry of tears. And we need them both. We need them both. Jesus has a ministry of of truth to Martha. I'll explain that to you next time, how that is fascinating, what's going on there. And Jesus has a ministry of tears to Martha, or to Mary. Do you notice they say the same thing to him? Different reactions. Let me tell you how this has worked. Now, I want to just ask you to think. This is too big. I'm just not going to run over. I'm going to let you go to church today. <laughs> some years ago, so for you, you got, and some of you know this, but I, I just want to remind you again. I, I have a real phobia about needles. I don't know where I got. Well, I do know where I got. When I was in the fifth grade, this nurse starts dragging this needle in my brother's arm, and I walked over to her like that. And she said, you're not doing that. And I said, and you're not doing what she did to my brother. I told her. I mean, I talked back to doctors when I was in the fifth grade. (laughs) Imagine that. So when she stuck me, I went like that, and just about bent it to a fish hook. Passed out. Anyway. So I've had this real aversion to needles. About 15 years ago, At Mid-America, we were having a blood drive. Now, God bless you if you give blood, because I'm telling you, you can read the newspaper through that needle. Hey, I'm serious. You can't. Just pick the newspaper up and go like this. Okay, yeah. So, I am... Uh, uh, you know, a leader at the university and a, and a professor, and and I'm and I'm feeling pretty bad because I'm seeing you know these 111 pound little girls come through with their arm all wrapped up, and I go, God bless you. Can I give you some money or, you know? And I'm really feeling bad. I mean, it, it really troubled me, bothered me. I mean, I really care about people. I I don't want anybody to die. And and I just. I would go to God and pray about it, and I would just say, God, I, I just don't know if I can do this. I've tried before. I, you know, I've tried to do things, get stuck, and it just I, I pass out. Becky always says to me, they don't want you. They don't want to have to mess with you. <laughs> I know, but I say I look like a pretty good special when I walk up there. She You're going to pass out. You start sweating like you're running a marathon, and, and you, pa- you scare them to death. So it, it got sort of a critical mass with me. I mean, I just, I got to the point that I just thought, I, I just feel so bad about me. It, it, it affected my teaching. It affected my relationships because I felt so bad. So one day I just finally went to the Lord. And I just said, Lord, you know me. And you know all about me. And you know this fear that's crazy. See, my dad also told me another thing. He said, always do the thing you fear. Always. It didn't work. I tried it. It didn't work. I can tell you stories about going to find motorcycle gangs in the inner city of Houston to preach to. Them. I did. Going to bars at night where nobody looked like me. Nobody. The fifth ward in Houston, Or when I got out of the car because the Air Tana, everybody got out of the car because here's a white guy going up to the door. I'm either a cop or the baddest white dude in the world. And I remember praying, because my dad would just say, do the thing you fear, do the thing you fear, do the thing. He didn't attune to me. And I remember praying, one of the most powerful moments of my life, when I said, Lord Jesus, I feel like dirt. I feel like a coward. I feel like dirt. I feel like I don't care enough. But I don't think I could do this. I know I can do all things through Christ's strength. I'm just telling you, my fear and other things had me, and I said, I just don't know if I can. And then I heard, I told you this recently. I heard the Lord say this in my soul. I know. I know. And I waited for the boot to drop but you need to go ahead and do this. He never said it. All I heard was, I know, I know. I'll just tell you, that moment of attunement to me, to say, Cliff, I love you, I know you, I understand this, it's okay. That didn't happen very often in my life, in my family, and in my life and it hardly ever happened in my relationship with God until I understood that Jesus wanted to attune with me. He wanted to attune. It wasn't just a ministry of truth, but a ministry of tears. I really do want to spend some time in this, so I'm not going to rush you. I want to spend some time in here. But I want you this week to think about, it's okay to struggle with faith and doubt. It's okay. Just lean into it. Talk to people. Read. Ask for help. But don't beat yourself up because you have some doubts. Because you've been stunned by the goodness of the gospel. Because it just knocked the breath out of you. When you say, is it really true? This? Come on. Please, allow God to knock the breath out of you. And cause you a little discombobulation. And say... I know what I know, but my goodness, this is too good to be true. Would, would you at least consider that maybe through your life or through your experiences or whatever, the only ministry you've ever gotten from Jesus is the ministry of truth, and not the ministry of tears. If you were to say, Cliff, I'm like you, I, I don't ever feel like God is ever attuned. Every, every time I go to God, it's like i got another list of things to do. Instead of letting Jesus attune to you. Does that make sense? You, you, you ought to dig around there. You ought to dig around there a little bit to say, wait a minute. I, I used to laugh and tell my dad, I said, Dad, I, I know you did the best you could, but I, I grew up thinking God was a, a sergeant. <laughs> he woke up every morning to get your orders. Instead of attuning to me and saying, I know you. I know what your weaknesses are. I know what your difficulties are. I'm with you. I'm going to help you, Cliff, to do this. So what do you need, the ministry of tears or ministry of truth? We'll look at that next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, this story, at least for me, has been an awful lot. See the way you interact and the way you work with people and the way even people <clears throat> that know everything about you're the Son of God, you're the Christ, you're the one coming into the world, still struggle with doubt. Would you help us to embrace that <clears throat> and, and engage it? Not run from it and act like it isn't there. Would you this week stun us somewhat with the gospel? Would you, would you uh, shock us again back to reality of the goodness and the greatness of what this is? And then we we want to do a little work this week, Lord, of the ministry that we we seem to get from you. Is it always truth or is it always tears or is it that we need both? Help us to be honest with you and, and talk to you about this and look to you. Pray it in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.